You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. We are in week eight of Analog Christian, where we have been answering the question, how can we follow Jesus while living in a fast-paced digital age? And I gotta be honest, we have camped at one answer, that we can do so only when we live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And Galatians 5, through 23 has been where we've camped at, but the fruit of the Spirit, let's read it together, is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everybody likes that last one, right? Well, you'll hear about it next week. Uh, Pastor Harvey last week took us through goodness, and he gave us a great word about God's goodness and our calling to show it. And, And I think it's worth mentioning again. You're never more like God than when you're expressing the goodness of God towards others. That's what our calling is, people. We're called to bear the image of God, to be so much like Christ that people can find Christ by looking at our lives and our testimonies. Amen? Amen. And the point of this series, the point of following Jesus at all, is to become more like Jesus. And the fruit of the Spirit's the only thing that can make this possible. See, I myself can't be any more like Jesus on my own, my sole effort. There's too much of me in me. Too much sin, too many issues, too much insecurity, too much trauma. But the spirit at work within us does something amazing. See, we can love like Jesus loves, experience joy as Jesus inspires it. We can have peace that sets storms still. We can have patience that endures any weight. We can have kindness for those who do nothing for us, goodness for those who don't deserve it, Faithfulness when the rest of the world is willing to fold. And today we're going to see how we can have gentleness like Christ. Make no mistake, I have an agenda today. Right now I want every single one of you to be a little less like you. Just a little. Just a little. And a little more like Jesus. See, every week I pray the same thing at Lake County. And when I'm here hosting, you'll hear me pray the same thing during communion. And it's always the same close. Conform us into the image of your son. See, I, I pray that because that is the goal. All right? Everything else is a vehicle just to get to the part where we can be conformed in the image of Christ Jesus. And I'm hoping that's what we get out of our time together today. Today, again, we're talking about gentleness, but we're talking about gentleness instead of outrage. We'll get to the outrage later, but real quick, what does gentleness even mean? See, if we went into a dictionary, the the, the stereotypical thing, we'd say it's kindness or tenderness, a mild-manneredness. Sometimes it's softness of action or a lightness, just a deft touch. But that's an incomplete definition in the scripture because the Greek has a lot more for us here. So today, I'm going to have the lofty goal of teaching you Greek, Okay. We're going to start with one word and one word only. It's the Greek word for gentleness, or at least the one that Paul used out of many, and it is praotes. Can you say it with me? Praotes. Great job. You know Greek. Give yourself a hand. Give yourself a hand online. Praotes. You know Greek. Everyone, I'm very proud of you. Graduation's next week. It's used nine times in the New Testament. 
And it's used very specifically. And you have to look into the Greek of some words because Greek and Hebrew, the languages of the Bible, have words with bucket meanings. And what that means is there's not just one definition. Normally, there are many definitions that are not synonymous, but they complement each other. In fact, the definition of priotes has meekness, mildness, gentleness, humility, submission, all individually separate words, but all important for the, for the meaning of praotes. Praotes actually has some phrases that are put in as well. Power sheathed, like a sheathed sword. Um, a wild beast that's been tamed or a horse that's been trained. Strength that's put under control. See, praotes is not about a lack of power, which is sometimes what we hear when we think of gentleness, but instead, gentleness is strength properly applied. Let me show, what I, let me show you what I mean. In the book, Analog Christian, which, which is kind of our companion piece, you can find it at the Connections area or in the cafe, depending on what campus you're in, Connections for Lake County, cafe here. Um, you can find this book, and, and it, it, it's really a great one. And he says this amazing story about Joe and Whitney Allen. There are two people, um, uh, husband and wife, who had their daughters trapped in the 2018 Camp Wildfires in California. And we have video of this father driving his daughter alone through an inferno. Check it out. Hey, guess what? We're not going to catch on fire, okay? We're going to stay away from it. And we'll be just fine. Okay? We're doing all right. Baby, it'll be all right. I'm going to stay away from it, okay? Yeah. Yep. Look, we're past it. We're out of it, okay? Yay. You did it. You did it. I, we did it together. That's all worthy, right? That's an all worthy kind of thing. See, this is a dad driving away from his home, which has been consumed by fire, his place of business, which has been consumed by fire. Everything he needs, he feels he needs in this world consumed by flame. But he is more concerned about his daughter's well-being. And he isn't doing it in a gruff action hero kind of way. He's doing it in a baby it'll be all right kind of way. I almost lost it watching that video. Little eye sweat. And Pastor Jay points out, though, that though we find this story heartwarming, the audience in first century would not. See, they would have actually thought that this was a complete abomination of how a man should act. He's supposed to draw his sword and kill who started the fire. He's supposed to avenge his family, not protect them. That's the view of that culture. That culture had a hero culture idea where everything was about being bold and strong and loud, just like me. And the thing is, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not what Paul was teaching to the Galatians. And Paul would have lost his audience here. They would have found this virtue, this fruit, this part of the fruit, this cluster of grapes, if you will, this one particular part, hard to swallow because gentleness just did not get things done in the ancient world. It's dangerous thinking, it's subversive, it's countercultural. And people would have thought, if I'm gentle, the world will treat me as a doormat. The world is, in fact, this is probably how we all feel, the world is totally messed up. It's not a time to be gentle, it's a time to be angry. 
People would think that. They would think, I'm strong. I need everyone to know how strong I am. Gentleness doesn't do that. And the thing is, we've changed, right? Right? We, we know that gentleness is a, is a virtue in 2023, just not in an election year. And we know that gentleness is a virtue except rush hour on I-4. Like, we know that. We know that gentleness is, is a fruit of the Spirit except on social media and our civic duties and our debates and especially at Thanksgiving. We know gentleness is important. But in all these other things, we don't treat gentleness as important as Scripture treats it. And the, the, the problem is we want to be treated gently, but nobody wants to be gentle. See, ain't nobody got time for that. Gentleness is so soft, but it's very hard to do. Right now, in fact, some of you guys might be feeling anxiety because you know, if I'm talking about gentleness instead of outrage, I'm gonna come for your outrage. Some of you have apprehension right now because outrage is a huge part of your daily life. It's a huge part of my daily life. Every time I log on to social media, I read eight things that make me angry. Anytime I turn on the news, eight things that make me angry. My Amazon home, whatever thing turns on every day to wake me up and it starts with the news. What a horrible way to live. <laughs> See, the thing is, outrage is in our life because it's the currency of the world. Our televisions cover it, our social media feeds it. Even sports are full of outrage canceling and clamoring for the next opportunity to be right and to be right as loud as you possibly can. And here's the thing, social media even has an idea. The whole construct is there to make, take advantage, really, of outrage because outrage is fun. If you say it's not, you're totally lying. <laughs> it's really fun to be angry and loud. If it wasn't, then why do we do it all the time? See, dopamine levels mix with our brain and a weird chemical cocktail every time we open up this little device, our phones, and we get on social media. But what no one knew is that the adrenaline hit you get from being anger comes in to that dopamine hit, and it's addictive. It's addictive to be outraged. It's addictive to be angry, to constantly fuel the thoughts that you really shouldn't share with everyone, but you're definitely going to share with everyone. See, in our politics, outrage creates cash, clout, and a groundswell of support it takes often to take political power. It also alienates and demonizes our neighbors when they look different than us, work different, think different, vote different. But who cares as long as we win the election, right? In our news, it creates ratings, momentum, creates networks and movements, but it also creates misinformation and generally creates division. But, I mean, it's cool as long as, you know, your favorite host has a show. See, today outrage is difficult because we live in a system of outrage. And in this outrage culture, you may be getting apprehensive or anxious or outraged at me that I should dare take aim at your news network or social media. And I also know that never in the history of calming down has anyone calmed down by being told to calm down. Well, just like that, I think it's hard for me to say to lay down your outrage. Unfortunately, my friends, the fruit of the Spirit does not include outrage. It's not there. There is no, no clause for it. And I promise we will get to when outrage is appropriate, but until then, don't tweet at me. Don't send, any, don't send a mad email. Wait until Monday. 
Because I want you to hear me out that gentleness is stronger than outrage. I said earlier that gentleness is dangerous thinking. The world really doesn't seem to get the idea of it, and they don't really get Jesus of Nazareth either, because Jesus is a dangerous figure with dangerous thinking, and he is not in favor of the status quo. See, when we get into the disruptive, dangerous thinking of Jesus, we get closer to the man the world decided to crucify. See, we forget the the world didn't love Jesus when he was alive. They like the idea of Jesus, but they don't like Jesus's ideas. See, we get closer to the son of God who terrified those in power, who shook the foundation of the world, who defeated death itself, hell, and the grave. And the truth is, for all that Christ was and is, he was and is gentle. He displayed priotes in that he displayed mildness, meekness, humility, and gentleness. And his gentleness is stronger than our outrage. See, Jesus was prophesied as someone content to go to slaughter. We forget that. Isaiah 53 kind of calls him not a loud conqueror, but a silent savior. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Some of us can't even get cut off in traffic without a grimace, a grunt, a growl, or a word we can't say on TV. Don't get me wrong. Jesus had moments of zeal, passion, violence. He knew when to throw down. If you check out John 2, 13 through 17, just an earlier part of the same gospel we'll be in today, Jesus cleanses the the temple of money changers, of people trying to make a buck in the Lord's house. And he doesn't just kind of do it. He pours over all their money. He flips all their tables. He runs around with a whip, which was almost my prop, but it got kind of voted down. <laughs> and it probably saved the wrong. The, you wouldn't have understood the gentleness. Of, anyway, and all of this was prophesied in verse 17 of the same chapter. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal for your house will consume me. See, Jesus knew what was worth getting angry about. But he also knew when to be gentle, and he's gentle far more than he shows anger. For instance, if you look at John 8, 2 through 11, where we'll be today, if you can take your Bibles, it's on page 919 if you use the Bible in your seat backs. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, that Bible is yours to keep. We'll start right at verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. Jesus had plenty of people at this time trying to kill him. The established powers wanted him dead. All right? The world had already had enough with Jesus. They wanted to catch him in a snafu, catch him in something where they could either get him arrested and executed, stoned or murdered. They really didn't care how they killed Jesus. And when they brought this woman caught in adultery before Jesus, they really didn't care about her sin at all. They cared about catching Jesus. All right. They cared about getting him. This whole thing was political theater. And for the record, most outrage is that. I was stopped out in the atrium earlier by someone at the previous service, and they said, you know, it always, always stood weird to me that if they really cared about adultery, the woman was caught in adultery with someone, right? Where is that guy? <laughs> and, and he's right. 
The Pharisees didn't care about the sin. They cared about the guy who was saying he was the answer. See, the Pharisees showed false outrage to trap someone who wasn't even the one who sinned, and they wanted to trap Jesus because they knew he would never show the outrage they had, and he would never play by their rules. See, Jesus was never at a stoning, and he never attended any public execution except his own. All right? That's just not how Jesus was. They brought this woman and trap him, but Jesus makes fools of the supposed wise men. John 8, 6 through 9, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I want you guys to imagine, if you will, your teenage kid texting on their phone as you repeatedly ask him a question. That is Jesus in this moment. He does not have time for the Pharisees. See, Jesus does not have a time for tattletales because this is how Jesus' posture is. When you come to Jesus, he is more concerned with your sin than your neighbor's sin. All right? He is just not concerned with your neighbor. He's not concerned with the other people group. He's not concerned with the people who sin differently than you are. When you come to Jesus, he's really only concerned with you. All right? Pharisees didn't get it. See, he, he sought not to condemn, but to restore. And he doesn't just save her life from the stoning in this morning, moment. He aims to restore her. The next verse concludes the passage. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to know something. That grace to save a life and simply say, go and leave your life of sin, that's extended to each and every one of us. We have an accuser, someone who wishes to stone us. All right? Jesus is there. Everyone was fine chapters earlier with Jesus running around the temple, turning over tables and having a whip. See, the world likes anger and drama. It's okay. But the moment Jesus starts insisting grace for an adulteress, when Jesus starts forgiving sins, when Jesus starts lifting up the lowly so that they can see at eye level with the high, that's when people decided they wanted him dead. In fact, by the end of chapter eight, they will attempt to stone Jesus. Jesus was never more dangerous to the world and to the status quo than when he did the unthinkable. He started forgiving people. Hear that. Jesus models the fruit of the Spirit in such a way because he has the fruit of the Spirit. He's 100% God, 100% man. And the fruit of the Spirit's gonna make us look more like Jesus. We're not gonna be in the crowds clamoring for execution. Instead, we're gonna be supernaturally blessed at peace, children of the risen King. You'll be counter to the world's culture and to their expectation. That's why God makes it clear that here, we don't throw stones, we build with them. See, our rage doesn't build things, it just tears things down. One of my favorite games is building things. It's Jenga. I play with my brother-in-law there. That's, that's my brother-in-law, Kevin. And we have a very impressive tower. You can tell. No one? Okay. I thought it's great. Forget you guys, not very gentle of you, just saying. The thing about Jenga is it's all about strength properly applied. See, my, my tactic is I get the piece and I hold it so firmly that I'm holding the tower. I'm holding it. I pull it out and I place it gently. His strategy, he like 
gets it out just a little bit, and then he flicks it. He just flicks the thing. And I've been undefeated in family Jenga for years. And he beat me over the 4th of July. And I'm upset about it. But regardless our strategy, I am so taken aback by this illustration. See, it takes gentleness to build something. And the world is a lot like Jenga. It's a tightly packed, ordered machine. And it doesn't like its pieces moved. Especially in a position that aligns with God's way upward. And it wants to teeter and it wants to topple and it wants to fall. And the only way it won't is if each piece is gently moved. In a world full of demolitionists and keyboard warriors, can the church be known as builders? I think it can, but it's going to take a deeper understanding of some principles. The principles of praotes. Say that again, praotes. Y'all know Greek, man. That was the final exam. There you go. Principle number one. We have to be humble and teachable. Humility is a value that we all know. But did you know that pride is so opposed by God that it prompts his mocking? Proverbs 3.34, he mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. I think it's great that God is good and his love endures forever and he's merciful and he's gentle, but even he likes to clown on a proud mocker. Even he wants to mock that kind of person. See, humility is important Because pride fuels outrage. See, pride in our own self-righteous issue, pride in our own opinions, our own team, our own position, pride poisons us with a grime that attaches to the good God has put in your life and slowly perverts it. If the enemy cannot get you to disobey, he will get you to take pride in your obedience. The book of James has a word on humble acceptance of what you're being taught, that humility keeps us safe. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Practically, I want you to hear this. Bosses are gonna love this. Coworkers will love this. Your political opponents will love this. Neighbors, weird Aunt Ethel, everybody's gonna love this. And if you're a husband, especially your wife, come into every argument, every debate, every conversation with the posture, I could be wrong and I have much to learn. I could be wrong and I have much to learn. I want you to know something. The truth is the truth. We're not all entitled to our own version of the truth, but every one of your opponents, and by opponents I mean people who are far from Christ, who need your example of Christ, all of our opponents are entitled to their emotions. And we should have some care and consideration for those emotions. That's actually the next principle as well. Care and consideration. Protest primarily meanings kind of aim at this. Consideration, moderation, mildness, calmness, care. Bearing with one another because of love is the primary phrase. Do you understand that's what the God of the universe models when he concerns himself with you? When you're messed up, When you've lost the polish of your life and you're tarnished, he bears with you because of his great love. Understand this, God does not bear with you because you're just so special. God bears with you because he loves you. Should we do any less to those we are in contact with? Pastor Harvey said it last week, grace is actually favor bestowed when wrath is owed. It preached well last week, figured I'd preach it again. See, gentleness means nothing without 
some gap. See, gentleness is proven when we get ripped off but choose to have a soft voice instead of a loud complaint. Gentleness is when the internet's on fire and we choose to be a positive space. Gentleness is when your kid brings you the wrong set of tools every time and you don't yell. Gentleness is when you aren't understood, but you take the time to understand. Gentleness is found, isn't found rather in easy moments, but when we have every reason to be scared, hurt, or angered. I want the whole world to see our church, our lives as a place where the fruit of the Spirit's in bloom, and there's no fruit of the Spirit called angry and loud. However, a side note about outrage told you I'd come back to it. Anger is sometimes necessary. And outrage really is fun. It's futile unless necessary. Futile outrage is what the world loves. It's what's on social media. It's generally what's stirred up on the news. You're angry, but nothing is happening and nothing is going to happen. There is nothing more profitable to media, politics, the, to economies, and to our enemy than anger, but impotent people. See, most outrage is futile outrage. It's all sound and smoke and fury, but no fire. Necessary outrage is when you speak out for the things that break God's heart. See, God truly does despise sin. He hates suffering brought on by sin, but he has never once despised a person. Not red or blue or left or right or black or white or young or old or rich or poor. Save your outrage for things not for people. And when you experience necessary outrage, you need to understand that this battle, like all battles, belong to the Lord. God does not need an army of soldiers putting other people to the sword. He doesn't need that. He needs an army of kingdom representatives bringing people back home. See, Outreach tears things down and it ends things, it destroys things, and sometimes that does need to happen. Slavery, massive injustices, human trafficking. You can be outraged by that. You should. But we should let our anger only be a holy anger. Let it only be stoked by God, not by our phones, our televisions, and especially our neighbors. Remember this. No one has been screamed into salvation. No one's been bullied into a new life with Christ. A gentle nature is required to restore people. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. See, the temptation there is the temptation to either judge instead of restore or to neglect instead of be vigil. And maybe you guys, you've already thrown stones. You're a professional throne stower, Th stone, stone thrower. <laughs> Your entire life has been marked by proud mockery. You might even get paid for it, but it's not too late for you to live a life marked with gentleness by priotes. Principle three, our final principle is submission to God. The final application of priotes is real simple. It's mildness, meekness, specifically submission. And it's paramount to make any of this possible. We could try to be gentle. We could try to be humble. We could try to do all these things. But without submission to God, it never works out right. 
This idea of submission is probably the most countercultural thing we have in this value. In this fruit, proyotes, submission isn't a thing that we can grasp easily, but with submission to God, surrender to God, we can see that his ways are higher than our ways, that they're better than ours. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, submit to me, yield to me, follow my lead. That's what Jesus says, but he doesn't impose submission from a place of power. Instead, he tells us that he's gentle and he's humble in heart and that we'll find rest for our souls. I don't know about you guys, but my ways are clumsy and violent and flimsy. They're tiring, to be honest. See, being angry might be enjoyable, but it is an exhausting way to live. And Jesus models such perfect gentleness, such perfect strength under control, and he invites us to follow him, not in toil, but in rest. He calls us to be kingdom builders, not demolition experts, but master carpenters. See, I think it's because he knows that outrage creates motion, but seldom does it create results. Now results come from strength properly applied from gentleness. I never want you to look at this word again and see weakness, not gentleness or meekness, mildness. It's not an inferior state. It is not weak, it is strong. I want you to see the countercultural, revolutionary, subversive, dangerous attributes of Jesus. Jesus was gentle and he was crucified for sedition. I want you to see the rebelliousness it takes against a world that wants you angry to turn the other cheek. I want you to see your strength properly applied to be a part of God's great work. See, I think here at Journey, we can see the fruit of the spirit evident in our life as we surrender to God, knowing he's the author and perfecter of our faith and that our church can be a place where submission to God's plan and conforming to Christ's image is our number one priority. Even if it means we've got to be gentle. And maybe as we surrender more to God, we won't need so much outrage anymore because the world will be changed by the same power that changed it 2000 years ago. A gentle savior, a risen King Jesus. Let me pray for you. Tell me, Father, I just thank you for the people here. I thank you for moving in hearts and minds, but most of all, I thank you for being gentle. Lord, we don't deserve gentleness. We deserve whatever harshness you would seek to deliver, but still your grace abounds and you invite us to be mirrors of it, to show your heart by being gentle in the world around us. So as we are about to respond, about to sing, move in our hearts and conform us into the image of your son as we lay down anything that isn't of you. Lord, you are mighty, you are great, and you are sovereign. Change us as you bring new fruit in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.